welcome to the SLP Full Disclosure Podcast. Tune in for each episode to hear from experts in the field about new and informative topics in the world of speech language pathology. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a guest. And let's jump into this episode. Hello and welcome to SLP Full Disclosure. I am your host, Jennifer Martin, and joining me is my fun uh, sidekick and producer, Jonathan Carey. You're really hung up on that sidekick. (laughs) (laughs) Once I find a word I like, you know me, I just can't stop saying it. And I'm decided too that I've said amazing for the last couple. I'm going to change the adjective every time. Challenge accepted. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, because you hold the key to the edit button. So you'll gladly take the challenge. (laughs) So if you have to, it's gone. (laughs) Yeah, or we're going to have to do five takes because you're going to like try and think of something on the fly and then you're just going to be like, and I can't remember anything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I almost, it was very hard for me to come up with fun. So just imagine like when I run out. I'm just happy you think I'm fun. So it's the first time I've heard that in my life. <laughs> I doubt that. Um, so you should be very happy about something that happened yesterday. Do tell. <laughs> You're like, oh gosh, what is this? It rained for a yes, long time. Yes, it did. I enjoyed it tremendously. So I thought about you right away. I said, okay, Jonathan's finally going to be happy. He got some rain. Yeah. And it was like a good rain. It wasn't one of those like Colorado, like yeah. 30 second rains and then it's done, you know, it's like constant. So brought me back to Louisiana. Yeah. I was thinking about that too. I was thinking, I think the reason I am hesitant or less, I, I like rain less than you is because I associate that with Mosquitoes. Uh, yes, very true. One thing I definitely do not miss from Louisiana. No. And I just had, I, I will share this and I want to know your thoughts and then we're going to get into our episode, but I'm just very curious. You know, I'm a curious person. Um, is Okay, so I just read this article and I want to see if there's any truth to it about mosquitoes. So mm-hmm. I can be in a group of people and I will be eaten alive and maybe me and like another couple people, but then there'll be people that... They don't get touched. We're all together, same place, same time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have that experience? Is that you? <laughs> Are you the one not getting bit or the one getting bit? Um, typically I'm the one not getting bit. Well, um, mosquitoes, I do not like them. They are not good leaders. They are terrible. They would be terrible leaders. Nobody wants anything to do with them. But today's guest is an amazing leader. And she also leads and teaches people how to lead. So I think she's not only got the skills, but she's able to help other people get the skills. And I know that I was able to take a three-day training with her and just immediately had to send Jonathan a text, I have a crush. So I'm so, so happy that she is joining us today. And let me tell you a little bit about her before we get started. So we are going to have Chantrell Good Games join us today, and she is the Director of Leadership and Enterprise Training for AMN Healthcare. She's responsible for all leadership development and enterprise-wide development programs, including new team member orientation, lead, ignite, emerging leader, and our LinkedIn Learning Partnership. 
amongst other leadership development efforts. Chantrell comes to AMN from Southwest Airlines, where she evolved their high potential and executive development programs and processes. Before Southwest, Chantrell was the head of human resources for Concord Church and worked 10 years at McKesson as a senior leader in learning and development. She started her professional career at Bank of America in training and development as a cross-functional facilitator. And she holds a bachelor's in journalism degree from the University of Texas at Austin and a master of arts degree in organizational management and human resources from Dallas Baptist University. And a quick personal note is that Chantrell has been married to her husband, Ken, for 19 years, and they have two kids. They have Trey, who's 16, and Gabby, who's 14, and they stay very busy with sports, travel, games, and three family dogs that I know are very important to Chantrell and her family. So we are excited to speak with her, and let's get started. So we are so happy to have Chantrell Good Games. Thank you so much for joining us, Chantrell. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, you have no idea. I have, from the second I heard you speak, I was texting Jonathan, I know who I want on the podcast. So you have been on the list from the second I knew you existed. So thank you so much for joining us. And I'm really looking forward to talking about leadership and everything about it, because I feel like this is an area that really does not, we just don't learn a lot about this in, in mm -hmm. graduate school and speech pathologist. And I think it's just a topic we need to talk more about. But before we get started, um, yes. I want to know about you and who, tell us about your background what, and what led you to where you are currently. Yeah, well, I, first of all, I'm very excited to be here and I'm always humbled at the opportunity to talk leadership development. I often say when I give presentations that, you know, I believe this is absolutely what I was put on a planet to do and I'm just blessed enough to get paid to do it. I love it. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun today. Uh, so a little bit about my background. I started in, uh, well, 1900 and something and something about 24 years ago <laughs> in leadership development. And I cut my teeth at Bank of America. I was there as a, a learning development facilitator, enjoyed my, my time there. And I'd worked there. I worked at Chase Bank. I worked for McKesson, um, another organization that many of our listeners may be familiar with. And it was really there that my role took a bit of a turn. And I began to span my control and I have a larger span of control and uh, teaching leadership development workshops um, around the world and had wonderful opportunity there. Interestingly enough, I'd been there for about 10 years and I went to my leader one day and said, you know what? I think my work here is done. I've had a wonderful run and I believe that life works in seasons. And I said, I really want to take uh, the areas of giftedness that I feel like I have and my passion. And I want to give them back in a manner of service. And it was at that point that I wanted to teach leadership development in the space of ministry. So I left McKesson. And I went to go work for my church as the HR director there. And so uh, the just to say church, it's 7,000 members and 100 employees. So it was like a small business. And so I was able to build the HR infrastructure on the backside of our church and um, everything from performance appraisals to competency mapping and believe it or not, leadership development workshops, all in the space of ministry. And I absolutely loved it. And 
And I did that for about three years. And after that, again, I felt like my work was done. And I went to our pastors and said, you know what? I think it's time for me to, to move to my next assignment. And with their blessing and a six month transition plan, I moved to a wonderful company that you all may know named Southwest Airlines. And thinking about going from ministry to Southwest, I could not have picked a better landing spot because their values and their mantras sync up so nicely with those values that I experienced in ministry. And I was there for a few years working as part of their consulting group um, with executive development. So I had the unique pleasure of working with the senior most leaders at Southwest Airlines, um, doing everything from 360 assessment administration, debriefing, executive coaching pairing, um, executive curriculum development, just had an absolute ball. And with the ill effects of COVID, we can all appreciate that travel industries and hospitality industries took a hit. And so I began to put a few feelers out there. I was still working there, but I said, oh, I better kind of see where my options are. And literally five resumes and six interviews later, I ended up at AMN. And my biggest concern was, am I going to be able to experience what I had working in ministry and at Southwest Airlines at AMN? And it has absolutely been one of the best transitions I could have ever had because I'm getting the best of both worlds. I get to serve in a manner of working with our leaders. AMN is serving a broader community with patient health care, and it's just worked out beautifully. So I'm glad that I get to do what I feel like I was put on the planet to do in a place that love with, loves what it's been called to do, which is serve our communities in the healthcare space. That is, I, I really have I really enjoyed hearing about your journey. And one of the things that really stands out to me that I think is so important, and we have a lot of new grads and people just starting their career that listen. And I love that you point out things, different things have a season and, mm -hmm. and we don't have to stay somewhere forever and ever because we feel like, well, this is my job. This is what I'm doing. But you truly recognized I'm, I have this gift and I'm able to provide it and serve during this time, but then sometimes things run their course and then that gift is better used elsewhere. And I think that's a really important reminder for people to remember that, and you've been able to use that gift in multiple settings with different groups. So mm -hmm. I, I love that reminder. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I, of course, you know, I could do a whole podcast just on the airline industry. Too. So we'll see, we'll have you back for another, because okay, it's the like, next podcast, right? I feel like we could just have a reality TV show. I just, it's like, oh, I bet all the behind the scenes things, but I will say Southwest is one of my favorite airlines. They are yes. just, they're, they do such a good job and you can feel, you can feel that people there seem like they really love their job and want to be there. Yes, they do. And uh, the interesting thing about it is you can't make it up. Mm -hmm. uh, it is just something in the sauce in when you're selecting talent and um, who's going to help take us to the next level and who's going to enhance our customer experience and who will help to make us better against ourselves. Iron sharpens iron. So mm -hmm. the selection process is rigorous, but it is so worth it because of the experience you're just expressing there. So. Yeah. And I think too, this is something that I believe is also very important because there's a lot of new grads that are listening and people that 
don't realize that they can change around and there are seasons for things and they need to move around and and go where they're best suited at that moment Mm -hmm. to really be of the greatest service to whatever their gifts are, they can share them. Agreed. Uh, Yes. Mm -hmm. And another thing I've been, I've recently been moved into more of a leadership role and it's one of those things where I think me, are you sure me? And I have to really stop and think about other times in my life that we use the word lead and leader mm-hmm. and have to really stop and think, no, but I've done this before. I just haven't called it that. Okay. But it brings up something that I also have been thinking a lot about lately is that what is your thought on, you know, I've heard some people say that people are born to be leaders, like they mm-hmm. were a born leader. Yeah. But then I feel like there's other people that weren't necessarily born to be leaders, but that are are really strong leaders. So what are your thoughts on that? You know, I've often pondered that question. And over my years of leadership engagement, I I have landed on that. I think it's both and and not either or. And what I mean by that is I think there's some some behaviors or skills that are more innate for people like uh, discipline, tenacity, passion, intellectual curiosity, things like that. You typically are, that's just how you're wired, more hard wiring. But those softer things are those that can be developed that are equally important for leadership. Things like empathy. Uh, We need to have, you know, some level of business acumen, the ability to effectively communicate, um, being an impactful coach, collaboration. Those are things that can uh, otherwise be developed or trained. So I think it's both and some hard wiring and some soft wiring, as you as you could name it. And those are the things that really, I think, form a unique leadership uh, embodiment of leadership. So we got some nature and nurture. Nature and nurture. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I think that's great, though, because it doesn't mean where people because I think sometimes people think, oh, no, I'm not that. And so therefore, they don't think that they can go down that road instead of thinking, well, I don't have all of that, but I can learn most of that. Right. Right. And and you've worked with so many leaders in all of your different organizations. What stands out? And you mentioned some characteristics before this, but you personally, what stands out after having experienced so many as being a really good leader? When you think about those that you've been either led by or been able to train to be good leaders, what what stands out to you? If, If I had to offer what I think the best of the best leaders whom I've experienced, Uh, the characteristics that they have demonstrated. One of the things that really stands out for me is once the leader has been given the title of leader or their span of control has increased or they just moved from individual contributor to people leader, it's at that point that they understand, discover, uncover that it's really no longer about them. It's their ability to work and mobilize and impassion people as they work toward the vision. So A, understanding that it no longer gets to be about you as the leader. It begins to be about the people that you're responsible for. Uh, The other thing I think that makes for, you know, a leader, some of the best leaders I've worked for is they were open to having their thoughts, you know, uh, respectfully challenged. And in some cases, their minds changed, you know, 
the people whom we're responsible for a lot of times are closer to the work. So they have unique experiences that we just don't have the pleasure of seeing every day. And it can be their worldview that gives us the perspective that we didn't otherwise have that could perhaps influence a decision. So, you know, being able to have your mind open and willing to have your mind changed. I think another thing that's important, at least what I've seen with the best of the best, is they were relatively self-aware and pretty transparent and, and dare I say, vulnerable. So they would, you know, share, I'm not good at this, or you know what, I don't have the answer and I need help determining what the right course of action will be. Uh, And then I guess the last thing that I feel has really been a theme for those leaders whom I felt were really impactful is that they worked really purposefully to create like what we call a psychologically safe space for people to to win, to lose, to to be successful, dare I say to fail. Um, They made it okay in that space that they are responsible for. Um, And and we need a lot more of that um, because this thing is hard and making sure that our leaders create that psychologically safe space for people could definitely be a game changer. Yeah. And so much of what you say or just shared, it seems counterintuitive to what a lot of people think a leader should do or Mm -hmm. should be. And it really is. I, there's that story of the general who it was, he was the last to eat. Everybody in the platoon eats first and he eats last as the leader because he's got to make sure that his people are okay. That's right. And and the vulnerability piece, I think it's getting a lot more attention to where I think it used to be thought, well, I'm the leader. I need to be perfect. I need to show that there's no cracks in this armor and nobody can relate to that. Mm-hmm. And people need to see that, oh no, you're not perfect. You're also learning, but you're That's helping right. me feel safe to make mistakes too because that's, it really is so cliche, but that's how we grow. We have to, we have to make mistakes. We have to go through the challenges. And sometimes as a leader, would you say that that's something a leader has to do is sometimes step back and know, I know that this isn't going to turn out the way we wanted, but (laughs) I, I am just going to have to let you make some of these mistakes. Absolutely. Some of the best learnings come out when, when things don't work out quite right. And that's okay. And how we respond as leaders when it doesn't work out quite right is just as telling and informative as how we respond when things do work out perfectly. So both scenarios, one when things work out well and ones where it doesn't work out so well, they're equal in value. It's how we as leaders respond in both and how we cultivate the true learning uh, outcomes of both in both scenarios. So, yes. And almost it makes me think too, as you're talking, it's a big responsibility. Like you said, it's not easy because how that leader responds to that outcome also really could shape what that person does going forward and who they are and what beliefs they have about themselves. So it really is a really big responsibility. It is. It is. (laughs) So just don't think about it. So it's like, oh gosh, that's a big, I don't know if that's a lot. Um, And I know too that within our field, we have opportunities to take on more leadership roles because we have to have the supervision. We have to have hours of that we're supervised in order to even before we get out of graduate school. And then once we get out, we have to have more supervision. But then on the flip side of that, we often are called upon to be 
the supervisors, the mentors, the leaders. And then even beyond that, there's often lead roles within school districts or in hospitals. So if somebody is thinking, I feel like I want to take on that challenge of, of having a leadership role, what do you recommend for somebody that says, I'm curious about potentially doing that? What would be your recommendation to them? I would offer that what that person will want to do is make sure that they are first effectively leading themselves. That would be the first thing. And how do we test for that? It would be things like making sure we are honing in on on high emotional intelligence, keen self-awareness, a high level of discipline, uh, high results orientation, uh, the ability to uh, work well and play well in the sandbox with others. So I think first, when it comes to thinking about leadership, I would, I'm big on personal self-assessment first. And am I even leading myself well? And if I'm not leading myself as well against some of those areas that I mentioned, then I need to go to work. And I need to put in the work to hone up in some of those areas. So that would probably be the very first thing, um, because if I can't lead myself very well, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge to lead people well. Um, now, that I will say is um, even with that, many of us are leading already. While we may not necessarily be leading people, we could be leading programs or processes or projects. And if you find that you're more leading in that direction, there are still areas for you to grow there also. Um, how about growing um, in your area of influence? Um, how are you doing when it comes to being a collaborative um, engager? of ideas. Um, How about this servant leadership? You know, am I serving through the spirit of leadership to those whom I'm working with on these programs and processes and projects? Um, Do I do a good job of making the complex a little bit more simple? Um, And what is my problem solving and decision making quality? So irrespective of whether or not you're wanting to lead people, A, start with yourself and say, how am I doing driving my own self-leadership? And then if I'm not even leading people, but I'm leading in these other areas like projects, processes, or programs, how well am I doing developing some of those skills that are going to transfer nicely when I'm potentially given the opportunity to lead people? We hope you're loving this episode. We just want to take a quick break to talk about the company that makes this show possible, Med Travelers. Med Travelers is the industry leader for exclusive SLP travel opportunities at exciting destinations across all 50 states, offering you the financial freedom, expanded experience, and flexibility to help drive you toward achieving your career goals. To learn more about how Med Travelers can power your success, visit medtravelers.com to speak with a recruiter today. Again, go to medtravelers.com to begin making your mark in the world of travel therapy. And now back to the show. And I would love for you to just define as well. I, I hear this term all the time, servant leader, servant leadership. What does that mean for those of us who are less familiar with that term? Sure. Servant leadership is a philosophy on as the leader, I am not here to serve myself, 
but I'm here to serve those whom I lead. So it is a very selfless, selfless approach to uh, giving the team what it needs in order to be successful before thinking of myself. Um, and that's just a, the philosophy that I found works well for me um, because we don't necessarily uh, get work done through people. We actually get work done with people. And how do we help them actualize their best selves, bring them their best selves to work every day, bring their entire selves to work every day. And it's just this, the heart of a, a leader who operates as a servant that helps us to create an environment like that. Yeah. And it goes back to that thought of you're only as good as the people under you or the yes. people that you're leading, because mm-hmm. if you have a team that's fallen apart and there's lack of respect and no vulnerability and how is, how are you going to actually accomplish any of the goals that you have set out? That's right. And, you know, our our direct reports, our team members, they actually get their cues from us every day. And we give them cues about what is okay in the environment based on what we as leaders, what we allow, what we ignore and what we reward. So if we Um, are mindful of that, it could potentially challenge how we show up every day or encourage us to continue to do the same things because we're doing a beautiful job at it. But just knowing that they really are watching for the cues um, that they need in order to be successful in the environment. Yeah. And some of the, a book that I love, and I think I recommended this during our training is just goes back to what you were saying too, about as a leader, I think one of the really important things is realizing you aren't going to know all the answers. You shouldn't know all the answers and be willing to change, have your mind changed as well. And there's this book that um, it's Think Again by Adam Grant. And it really is a great read or audible listen, which is how I, <laughs> if I fell asleep at two pages in. So, <laughs> uh, but it's also just, I think, good for resource as well, because it, it just reiterates how important it is to challenge your thoughts. That's, it's a good thing to, to have somebody I would change your mind. You should want that. That's right. Yeah. You want to have, my experience has been, I need to round out my circle. So I need people. I need people around me who shore my gap. And one of the things we talked about earlier is being quite self-aware. So knowing where your shortcomings are, your room for growth happen to be, you know, bring talent along to shore your gap. Um, Bring people along to help hold you accountable. Bring people along that can help encourage you. So you certainly want to make sure you have a rounded mix of talent at your table because it's only going to make you better as a leader. I I do not want a monochromatic approach to thinking and thought and processing information because that doesn't help anybody. At least that's been my experience. I need somebody to challenge my thinking. And because I believe, again, iron sharpens iron, it only would make me better and make them better. So, Yeah. I always say there's too, too much of the same thought in one room doesn't usually go in the direction that you want it to. And, and we probably need to change rooms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like this, do we need to do some musical chairs? Yeah. We've got an exit stage left. <laughs> I'll be going now. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and another area that I know that I really struggled with for a long time, and again, because our role as speech pathologists is so often that we are 
giving and receiving feedback. And that's Mm. a big part of what we are expected to probably more receiving feedback from grad school, but then giving a lot of feedback. Mm -hmm. And what suggestions do you have on how to really do a good job at giving feedback, but also receiving feedback? You know, feedback is tough. Um, you know, often when I facilitate workshops, particularly for individual contributors, I often share, you know, through this area of growth, we all need feedback and we should actually solicit it um, and be mindful that sometimes if the feedback isn't favorable, it is as tough on the giver, if not tougher on the giver than it is the receiver, because they've got to prepare and rehearse and then deliver this message. So when it comes to giving feedback, um, some things I would probably recommend is do your homework to make sure that you are prepared and you can be as specific as possible. And that's when things go well or when they're not going so well. Um, The other thing for giving feedback is try to create a balanced experience for the receiver so they don't create this whole Pavlov effect. You know, like every time I see, you know, manager A, I'm going to think the worst, right? We want to make sure that when we engage with people, we're offering balanced feedback um, in a loving way. So there, the potential for receiving, it tends to go up. Uh, the other thing is try to stay future focused with the feedback. So whatever the feedback is, people like to know what they're doing well, so they know what behavior to repeat. And people want to know what they're not doing so well, though, so they know what behavior to correct. But always keep it future focused. Shane Charles, this is what I'd like to, you know, I would love to see you do more of this because you did such an amazing job. Or you know what, Shantrell, if we just, you know, dial this idea one degree to the left, you're going to see exponential impact. So just keep it future focused. And that helps uh, people to move forward in receiving the feedback. And, you know, and the other thing I would often say is that feedback is important. As important as it is to give the feedback, let's be mindful of the timing Um, because it could be great feedback and the timing be off and it won't be received as well. So make sure as we're preparing to deliver messages, either to the good or maybe the not so good that we factor timing. Because if it's really, really good, we want to give it to them in a time where they're going to be able to be really excited about it and not be pressed for the next meeting or the next client engagement. So again, timing is as important as the other things I mentioned about preparing and keeping it future focused and all of that. Now that's giving the feedback. When it comes to receiving the feedback, I believe the most accountable people are those people who solicit it. So if I could give you feedback on feedback, go asking for it. Um, And when you receive the feedback, say thank you. Those are the two biggest things. Go looking for it, go on the hunt for it, and make sure you say thank you. And if you receive feedback, that maybe isn't delivered or presented in the best fashion. One of the things that we have to do as we work through our professional maturity model is being able to separate the message from the messenger. That's probably one of the things I've, of the top probably six or seven things I've coached on, one of the things is receiving feedback. A great example is I've worked with um, this particular individual and they had a really tough time receiving feedback. And and my question to them was, why are you struggling with it? Well, because I don't like the way the person said it. Well, okay, but does that make the information any less true? 
well, no, but I just don't like the way they said it. Okay, so we have to work through that a little bit because as long as we're resisting the feedback because we don't like how they delivered the message, particularly when the message is valid, we're not going to grow. And the last thing, I have a lot of passion around feedback, If you can, as you can see. The other thing I will say, as long as people are offering us feedback, they have a vested interest in the relationship. They really do. And so we just have to be mindful of that when we're engaging with people, because if they didn't care, they wouldn't share. So that is a great reminder. I tell all the new grads that feedback is your friend, even if it's hard, it's good. Mm -hmm. It really is. And it helps us. And again, like I really believe when people stop talking, that's when I get concerned. I really do. I'd rather you tell me I stunk up the joint. (laughs) because I don't want to do that again. And you care enough about me to let me know. But I also want you to pull me to that Chantrell, you did an amazing job delivering that presentation or the way you engage with that tough client was right on the money. That is as motivating as anything else. So just making sure we're balanced and we give it. And then on the flip side, we go on the quest for it and we ask. It's interesting. I'm thinking that this feels very much like when you get home and you realize you have spinach, spinach, spinach in your teeth, and nobody told you. And you're thinking, "Oh, well, you could have told me." And then, but then that goes back to how and when you tell someone. You want to scream across the table. You have spinach in your teeth. But if you say, "Hey," I want to go check the bathroom. We got some in your teeth. Then you feel like, thank you. Exactly. Well, okay, let's talk about the whole spinach in the teeth. So my thing would be, you, you left me exposed for 30 minutes and you knew something I didn't know. So why wouldn't you tell me? Surely you want me to be great. Surely you want me to be great. So tell me about the spinach in my teeth, please, the next time. <laughs> I know. And it's so hard because if you're the person who's trying to to give that, you think, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't. But then the person who gets home thinks, why? Well, how embarrassing that nobody told me and thought that to thought to tell me. Well, and I think you just raised a really good point. There is when again going back to my earlier comment that sometimes feedback is as hard on the giver, yeah, if not harder oh, yeah. than it is on the receiver. So as receivers of feedback, when people are giving it to us, you know, be mindful of that and how we respond to receiving the feedback gives them information too. You know, does Chantrell make it safe for me to come and give her feedback in the future, right? And so we wanna look at it, um, not only from us having to hear it, but the person having to to give it. Okay, so we all will think about that spinach piece. That is your feedback. (laughs) Don't let people have spinach in their teeth. Love them enough, love them enough to tell them. I know, it's so true. (laughs) And I wanna touch on something else you said that I think is really interesting, which is, keeping it future focused. So in your experience, do you ever feel like it's appropriate to say this happened in the past, but this is how you can prevent it in the future? Or do you feel like that just takes them to a place that's not really productive to even go to the past at all? No, I think it's okay to go to the past. I would just encourage just not to stay there. Gotcha. Because I as a part of that feedback, we want to be specific. So we've got to draw the, the feedback is coming from somewhere. And typically it's coming from a thing that happened back there. Right. Mm-hmm. So pinpointing the specific thing that occurred in the, in the past and talking about why we 
either don't want to have that repeated in the future because of unintended consequences or this thing happened in the past. And that is exactly what you want to replicate because it Mm. yields positive dividends down the street. So the referencing of the past is okay as long as we don't stay there Mm -hmm. and we use it for a future forward launch pad, if you will. Gotcha. So it's it's like touch on it for reference, but it's not productive to stay there. The productive piece happens future. And you also remind, because I was immediately thinking for not positive feedback, but you reminded me, no, that even is for positive. You did such a great job doing that going forward. Yeah. What, do more you, of that. Do yeah. more of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing, and that's really at the heart of if I have a passion point in leadership, feedback and coaching are probably two of in my top five for sure. Because if we're not careful, uh, we will get connected with feedback means bad. Coaching means bad. And it doesn't or it doesn't have to. Coaching and feedback can be both of them can be balanced. Mm-hmm. So when people see us, we are the gifter of things. Right. Some corrective and some positive. And we just want to create a balanced experience for for our teams because we're in charge of the environment and how psychologically safe it is. We have a pretty significant part to play in that. So, No, I think that's so important. And I hear so many stories. I had a fairly decent experience in grad school, but I've heard a lot of stories of people saying my supervisors in grad school, I just, it was where they have learned if that feeling, like you said, here comes manager A, it's like, oh, Um, and is it in your experience, is it ever okay if you feel like all you're hearing are the things you're not doing well to respectfully say, did I do anything well? What did you see that I did well? Yes. And the short answer, absolutely. And I, again, as part of our conversation about being transparent, I will be transparent. I've actually done that with the leader that many, many years ago, early in my career, quite honestly, um, he was a good future focused leader. Um, and he had such passion for L&D, or leadership and development. Mm-hmm. He would critique everything, which was fine. I was open to that, but it got to a point where the critique started to feel like criticizing. And so I respectfully challenged and just said, I am willing to take the feedback. Um, you've And I, re- I rearticulated what I heard him say. So he felt, because it's really important that the person feel heard, I believe, first before we can respond. So I said, I heard you mention that I need to work on this and this and this. Can you share with me what things you observed that I did okay or things that I did right? And that helped me leave, which is one of the things I'm, I really want to emphasize is we have to help people feel whole, W-H-O-L-E. And when we are only one-sided in our engagements with them, people tend not to feel as whole. And we, again, have to really take responsibility for that as leaders where we can. So I say all of that to say there is a respectful way to push back and say, I have captured all of the opportunities for me to improve. What would you say that I need to continue because I'm doing those things well? Certainly. I like that. And that helps gives people those talking points. I think sometimes you think, I know what I want to say, but I don't know how to word it appropriately. So, and I always say you can, it's okay to respectfully ask for what you need. Absolutely. And, and especially with that feedback again, you know, I and just, again, making sure the person felt heard. I heard you say, these are the three things you'd like for me to work on. What are some things I can continue because you, you interpret that I'm doing them properly. And that, yeah. you, that's a, a softer way, I guess, of kind of 
not going in their face because you don't yeah. want to do that. That's not respectful and that won't land well. So that's just another softer way to get at what you need. Yeah. yeah. And what you said too, it just reiterates something I feel so strongly about is that because again, we're working with children oftentimes in school. And I always tell the therapist, the first time the parents hear from you should not be you calling to say something negative about their child. Yes. It shouldn't, that's not going to be helping to build that relationship. It should, I'm going to be reaching out periodically and tell you great things. Also tell you some things that we may need to work on, but it should never be, you've, we've never spoken, but here I am to tell you, <laughs> your, your child's doing something real negative. That's no, no, working. no, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. That's not good. Not good. And I know too, that sometimes just being part of any organization or we all, we need to collaborate. We need, we have colleagues, we have classmates. Um, and sometimes we're not going to always agree on things. And like we've talked about before, that is okay. And oftentimes that is good. What are your recommendations if how to handle some of these tough conversations? If you don't agree, I really have tried hard to take out of my vocabulary because I used to say, oh, we're just going to agree to disagree. And I thought, yeah. you know what? No, let's ag- agree why we disagree, but we don't have to agree to disagree or let's talk about, because there may be something we're missing. So what's, what are your recommendations for having tough conversations and how to come to some resolution? Yeah. Okay. Don't run away from the conversation. Um, There is benefit in healthy debate and dialogue. Okay. There's some that's unproductive and unhealthy, but there is benefit in it. Um, and when we have to engage in conflict, you know, there are just a few rules of engagement that I often recommend. And one of them is I believe that being clear is kind and being unclear is unkind. So open, honest and direct communication I, is key because none of this should be a scavenger hunt for anybody. So when we're having dialogue with one another, being open with one another about what our observations are, what our feelings are, being very direct and being honest and dare I say kind. Um, So the first thing is that. The second thing I would say is don't make any assumptions. There have been times that I have prepared for war in my mind (laughs) and got ready to engage in this conversation. And two sentences in, I discover that I was off the mark totally. So walking in with certain assumptions is not necessarily healthy. So even though you are prepared for the conversation or to go into this conflict, you know, discussion, if you will, be really careful about making assumptions about what you're going to hear. So being open to that and then work to resolve it quickly. Um, Don't let things linger and fester. That doesn't help anybody. So if I could give you uh, go direct, be direct, Mm -hmm. you know, be open and honest with one another. Don't make assumptions and work to resolve it Uh, quickly. And the last thing, the last two things I really, if I could just say them again, is work to keep people whole. I can't say that enough. That's that servant leadership piece that I talk about. People, we have to work with people every day. And some of these people we have to work with all the time. And the one thing we don't want to do is leave people less than whole when we can. And um, at the end of the day, if it ends up where we just aren't seeing eye to eye on this thing at some point maybe you will and if that day comes which i'm sure it will always be open for reconciliation Mm -hmm. 
always be open to give the person another shot to give people the benefit of the doubt because I sit with the mantra that somebody somewhere gave me the benefit of the doubt you know I stepped in it and they gave me a second chance and that's something that I always want to make sure that we we work to pay forward as leaders giving people the benefit of the doubt assume positive intent be open for reconciliation and try to leave people whole that was a long answer. I hope that that was okay. (laughs) It was great. And I think it's such a good reminder. And I have to laugh too, because I am the queen of, I have this whole script in my head and I know exactly. And, and, you know, (laughs) two seconds in, I'm like, you missed your line. You didn't say what was on the script. (laughs) Now I don't know what to say back to you because you're not following the script. (laughs) I was loaded for bear and now I've got to unload. (laughs) Yes. And also I think you're exactly right is to remember, um, people have the capability of changing. And just because you disagreed at one point in time, we all change. We're all evolving. That's right. That's right. So, so just be open. You know, mm-hmm. people make mistakes. They they don't rehearse the lines and they're off script. <laughs> and, you know, we all have done it. And, and yeah. yeah, just be open and to, you know, they may have just been off that day, made up, made an off statement that wasn't quite right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just be open for reconciliation. Yeah. yeah. And we're, we're only human. That's why we say we're only human. All Isn't of there us. a song somewhere? So. <laughs> you sing it. <laughs> you don't want to hear me do it. I don't know. Not at all. <laughs> um, and one thing too, I just, I find it interesting too, because yeah. you are female and you've worked with a lot of leaders and leadership positions yourself. And you know, one of the things um, I think is changing is that often, you know, I'm so happy that there are more females in yes. leadership roles. And I think, again, it's not, it's just, it's not that we still don't want males. It's just that balance because that's right. just like, you don't want everybody in the room with the same opinions of thought. We, you want diversity, you want to mm-hmm. mix. Um, so what are your thoughts or what have you learned um, being female and in working in leadership? Ah, that's a, that could be a podcast unto itself. (laughs) I know. That's so true. Well, you know, interestingly enough, in my journey, I am, I was trying to think I may have only had two male leaders, most of, and I've been in this business for a while. And I want to say the majority of my leaders have been women. So I've had the great fortune of modeling and and learning from some phenomenal leaders who just happen to be women. So I'm excited about this question and and to think through, you know, what are some lessons that they taught me that I'm hopefully teaching those uh, direct reports whom I have who happen to be female are um, know your value, you know, know your value in the place, know that you have a voice, um, you know, advocate for yourself, uh, be okay and be courageous. Uh, these, and I know those sound kind of soft, but those are really the, th- I mean, I have watched and it wasn't as if they were a bull in a child by no stretch, but just very confident in who they were and what they brought to the table and that their chair, it wasn't just having a seat at the table. It wasn't just having a voice at the table. They were expected to be at the table. I mean, I've just watched them 
walk in this presence and it's just amazing to me and and if i had to think back what were they doing they they knew their value they knew their worth yeah uh they were very courageous in in uh uh deliberate in their approach and methodologies to how they handled people, how they handled business. Uh, They had the ability to take calculated risks. And the other thing that I thought was pretty neat is they hired smart people. And I, boy, I tell you what, and it's not that my male counterparts don't do that. It's just Mm -hmm. what I saw trended with these particular women that I was, they were very calculated about how they hired and that table was rounded out so nicely. And I'm like, man, as I get the opportunities to, to select talent and, and, and diversify uh, my surroundings, uh, I want to make sure that I, I, take a page out of their playbook. And and this was really helpful for me because Jennifer, I am an introvert. I know I've been talking a lot since we've been here, but I am a, a deep introvert. And for the longest time, I was of the mindset that introverts couldn't be effective leaders. And it was watching these women show me that that is, and they, many of them were extroverts, mm-hmm. but there were as many of them who were introverts. And they gave me the confidence to know that I could be introverted and still be effective. And some of the best leaders are introverts. And I think that goes back to that old stereotype that the, here I am, I'm the leader. Everybody's going to know who I am. And that's just not the case. It sometimes is the person who's last to speak up that actually has the best thought about the, what's going on. Yeah. Because they're observing, you're, you're, they're learning, they're taking it all in. They're, they're observing in the environment. You can learn a lot about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that listening and absorbing versus, and I think it goes back to that balance of having a good balance of male and female, different personality types, introverts and extroverts. It's just, it's about diversity and balance. It really is. And you can have the same eight people in the room who look the same, who Mm -hmm. grew up in the same place, who went to the same colleges, but they're, they're, ideas are so different. The way they process information is so different. And that's probably what I get the most jazzed about is rounding out a table and listening to the, what I call intellectual curiosity at play Mm -hmm. and the healthy debate and dialogue. I get, that is my jam. That is my jam. I love it. So that's when you go into flow. Have you heard of that concept? Yes. Yes. I go into my flow. Yeah. It's so crazy. (laughs) And it's so true when you hear it defined where everything else ceases to exist and you just kind of forget where you're at and like time stops. And I first read about that. I thought, no. And once you are find it and are in it, it's so true. It is. Like time stops. I don't know what has happened. (laughs) But it feels good. Yes. It's a good thing. And that is a song. It feels good. Yeah. That is a song. You're exactly right. (laughs) And I think too, one thing that I'm trying to do more is because, and again, I don't know if this is more stereotypical, stereotypically female, but just Mm. not being apologetic about everything. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, We just did a uh, 
monthly learning challenge uh, in the organization. And it was this particular month was the month of women. I believe it was the month of March was mm-hmm. Women History's month, History Month. And we had uh, micro learning modules for every day that we pushed out. And one of the modules was just on that. And these modules are less than five minutes in length. And they give us just a tidbit about the woman's experience. And mm-hmm. one of the things that one of these micro learning said is that as women, we have um, need to be mindful that we tend to apologize a lot more um, than our male counterparts. For example, if you said something and I didn't hear you, I would say, I'm so sorry. I didn't hear what you said. Do you mind repeating yourself? (laughs) Um, Just things like that, that we don't have to apologize for that. All we need to say is, Jennifer, do you mind repeating yourself? You know, Mm -hmm. so I I got it. It's so funny you mentioned that because that was one of the biggest key learnings I took away from the Women's Month of Learning. And the other thing I got was the head tilt. This like this when we talk. Oh gosh, am I doing it now? (laughs) No, I I think I probably did it five minutes ago. If we rewind this, we'll probably see Shintro did it again. So so two of the big things is the apologies and and the head tilt. And so are they saying, does the head tilt come from what is it? What is that? Just it's more from in a cadence of listening. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, okay. So, and we can listen like this yes. as well as we can like this. Oh, some, some habits are really, cause I find myself doing that too, where I'll be even at the grocery store and I get uh, too close to somebody and, Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It, it, it's like, if I had a swear jar, I need a sorry jar. A sorry jar. <laughs> It's like that a, is right. I have a like take a vacation at the end of that month from all the money I have in there. <laughs> from but, all the apologies I made. <laughs> yes. Well, and I, I read something really interesting, and this is I've tried to reframe this is instead of saying, here's an example they gave, which I really love is oh I'm so sorry, I'm so late, I'm so sorry. Thank you for waiting for me. Oh so you reframe that. Yes. I will take that one and put that in my little toolkit. <laughs> Yeah. So instead of making it, I'm sorry, but flipping it. And so I've started to become more aware of that. And it's amazing how often you do it. I do it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So we'll have to be each other's accountability partners on the apology. We'll take our money from our jars and we'll go on a shopping spree. (laughs) A big shopping spree. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. An all day affair. (laughs) Exactly. Wait, you're making me, you're encouraging me to put more money in there. No, because this is, I need something negative that I have to do with the money. So, uh, and I would love to know too, you've learned so much along the way. If you could look back as Chantrell in the beginning what advice would you give to yourself about leadership or just life and in general, I guess? Ooh, wow. Okay. Uh, let me try to narrow this down. <laughs> I can. Looking, I was so wound when I was younger. I, I felt like I needed to have a plan A, a plan B, plan C, plan D, and then sub bullets. It was just, that was how I was wired. And part of that was my upbringing. I was, you know, uh, a product of a single parent household. And, you know, there were so many sacrifices we had to make. And, you know, I learned from that playbook on things I want to do about surviving and things I didn't want to do. So I know some of that's more environmental, but if I could go back and talk to my 18 to 25 year old self, um, some of the things I probably would say is, A, you don't have to know all the answers. OK, 
Okay, just let it go. Um, rely on your resources because I felt like I had to be the person to source everything. So it's okay not to have all the answers. The other thing was um, probably just don't be so hard on myself. I was my own worst critic. Uh, I My self-talk wasn't as positive as it needed to be. And it was really difficult for me to extend myself grace where I needed to do that. So that's probably the other thing. And then the, the last thing I probably would say to the 18 to 25 year old Chantrell is, you know, learn from your failures, but don't wallow in them. I could recycle a failure in my mind for days and weeks, and it just wasn't productive. And I needed to learn, take the failure for what, take the L, <laughs> pick up the key learnings out of it and keep it moving. And I didn't do those things as well. I was very, very high strung when I was younger. And just with the life experiences, I've learned to temper that quite a bit. And um, just life seasons has help as well. But if I could give myself advice, back then it would be that. You don't have to have all the answers. Don't be so hard on yourself and learn from the L's. Don't wallow in them. I know it's the whole hindsight being 2020 oh, thing. It's so it was hard. hard. Oh, it's like, it was a mess. It was I know. the fact that I got here. Let's do anybody listening. You can make it. <laughs> you can make it. Yeah. It's just at the time it's because I had my things that I would have told myself were very similar to what you just said. And I'm sure many people feel that way, but it's like, don't sweat the small stuff. And so much of that stuff is small and you don't even realize it at the time. It feels so big and so important, but it's not. It really isn't. Yeah. And it's going to be okay. Most Mm -hmm. of it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you think, did you ever get feedback on any of those things or did, was it just truly going through life and realizing, uh, that's not worth it or did, did yes. it just come by organically? Absolutely not. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I had a leader and I won't going to call her by name because she, while I've had wonderful leaders, Patty Patmore, that is her name. She was one of my leaders um, at McKesson. And um, there, it was during a time that I was an executive platinum on American Airlines. If there was a flight, I was on it. I was coming. I was going. I was doing it. And I was really young in my career, a little older than 25, but still relatively new in the space of leadership. And I tried to be everything to everybody, have you know things always figured out, and I had horrible work-life rhythm. I don't, I don't necessarily say balance, but work-life rhythm was it was totally out of whack. And she called me out. In fact, interestingly enough, I lived in Dallas. She lived in Atlanta and she, I was taking a trip and she said, before you go to Dallas, make your, do a segue to, to Atlanta, then go to Dallas. So I went to Atlanta and she brought me into her office and said, you are out of your mind. You are traveling too much. You don't have any work-life rhythm. You're not going to be of any value to anybody else until you get your situation together. I mean, literally, that's what she told me. And I was offended. And she goes, you have to think if you don't render self-care, there is no care. And so she took my flight privileges. I Mm -hmm. kid you not. She took my flight privileges and she said, until you get yourself together, there is nothing. There is nothing. And she grounded me for, isn't that sound fun? Adult grounding, but grounded me. I couldn't travel. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) She uh, grounded me for two months and I had to show her that I demonstrated that I had balance and rhythm before she'd give me the opportunity to fly again. So no, she loved me enough to give me that. 
be I'm just going to say that is an example of tough love right there, but that emphasis on the love. Oh gosh. And I, I am indebted to her because now um, my family, we have a mantra and it's faith, family, school, sports, and friends. That's it. So ask any of my kids, they'll be able to tell you that. And that has helped me orchestrate and prioritize how I go about this thing. And it helps me really to, to maintain my rhythm. It really, really does. I'm curious, does Patty know what an impact that's that made on your life? She does. We are actually really, really good friends. And I talked to her just yesterday morning, actually. So, yeah, I'm getting misty just thinking about it because she probably, look at me getting all proclaimed. She was just amazing. Mm -hmm. And she saved me from myself because I was, I, I was defining success in a in the wrong way if you will and she helped to recalibrate my thinking and it wasn't about miles um with with the airline it's like you have no rhythm you're are you you can't even do your kids know your name you know and my kids were little you know oh, and she was like, this is this is bananas this is bananas so let me help you help your let me help yourself because you're right now let me save you from yourself you're not hitting the mark and it had nothing to do with my productivity at work it was all personal because you are not hitting the mark. So. Well, and that goes back to that tough, com- I'm sure that was tough for her too, where she was like, but knew if she didn't say it, you were going to burn yourself out. Yeah. And that was her, ki- that was, ki- if, if that's not love walking, and the thing about it is to your point about being tough for her, she knew I was on the road and she said, before you go home, you change your flight and you come to Atlanta. <laughs> And then you go home because she wanted to have a face-to-face conversation with me about that. <laughs> so she did, and it got my attention, and I have never forgotten it. Well, it's also a good reminder that you just never know the things that you just say to somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, that reset your whole course. Oh, yeah, it, it did. And even with the team whom I have um, the, the blessed fortune of leading, and they are amazing, amazing women, um, when we do our one-on-ones, the, these are some of the questions I ask them. How are you doing? What is your work-life rhythm? How can I help? And when do I need to get out of the way? So am I being a part of the problem, right? So, And I give them grace and space to tell me that. So I need to know how they're doing. What's their work-life rhythm like? You know, How can I help? And where do I need to get out of the way? I love that. And I think that should be more of a common practice, just a question that we do ask those, whether we're, they're working, whether we're leading them, working alongside them, because sometimes people, when you're in it, I mean, you probably didn't realize to that extent that you had no rhythm or maybe once you got out, you thought, what the heck was I doing? (laughs) You're right. I didn't. And again, I had defined success improperly. It was yeah. the first thing. So my priorities were out of whack. And yeah. it wasn't until I got, it was kind of like when I finished grad school, um, I got all this time back. And I'm like, whoa, I don't even know to do it all this time. I just inherited it, right? So yes. once I got the rhythm in place, I was like, oh my gosh, look at a, all of the things I've missed, right? Um, and look at what what I have the opportunity to gain. So Yeah, what a powerful and great example and reminder. And I... Yeah. Yeah, I um, thank you, Patty. <laughs> thank you, Patty. Yes, indeed. We all need a Patty. Everybody, you know what? Everybody needs a Patty. Yes. Everybody needs a Patty. Yeah. I know. I'm indeed. thinking, who's my Patty? I need find your Patty. <laughs> find my Patty. At the end of the day, with this podcast, find your Patty. Yes, Everybody needs a Patty. I love that. <laughs> 
So you've done so much, Chantrelle, and you've just, you really have, I, you, are, you are very humble, but I'll say this. I know that you have impacted so many people in such a positive way. I can speak for myself personally on that. What's next for you? And what, what's, what do you want to still accomplish or do? You know, it's such a hard question. Um, and, and I said, hey, I just thank you for the opportunity to spend time with you. You're always a pleasure. Um, I truly believe I am sitting in my current assignment. I, I, I know that people are like, well, this is what I want to do in three to five years. I am doing the thing that feeds my soul. Um, so if I can just continue to do what I'm doing, which is working my best to make leaders even more effective, one leader at a time, then Today is a great day. And that could be through a one-on-one coaching um, exchange. It could be through leading a formal workshop. It could be through, uh, you know, rendering a presentation or, you know, me being taught myself so I can pay it forward in some fashion. So I don't ever have aspirations, not now, but just where I am in my journey of being a, you know, this title or this mm-hmm. role. It's just, am I going to be in a space where I get to to you maximize my gifts to make somebody even better than they already are? Yeah. Well, you have a very strong why. And I think mm-hmm. that is what you, I epitomize servant leader. You really do. And I, I'm so grateful that you are who you are and that you've, you've given, used your gifts for the benefit of so many others. So I really do thank you for your time. And I think this is really valuable. No matter what line of work you're in, we can all benefit from this information. And I just really, really appreciate your time and um, just who you are as a person. So thank you. Well, thank you. And again, I'm very humbled by the opportunity to share uh, elements of my story. And um, it's just my gift to the world. And and I really appreciate the opportunity. And I hope it helps somebody. Yes, I'm certain it will. It helped me. And I know (laughs) there's other people out there that will feel the exact same way that I do. So thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you for tuning into SLP Full Disclosure. For more information about this episode, check out the show notes on our website at medtravelers.com slash SLP full disclosure. And don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss a guest. Are you interested in becoming a travel SLP? Visit medtravelers.com to learn more and explore the exciting opportunities we offer at top level facilities across the country. Also, a special thanks to Jonathan Carey for producing this episode and Aiden Dykes for the music and editing. And as always, this episode was powered by Med Travelers. See you next time.